Oh, and I can start. Hello, everybody. Welcome once again as we continue on in a series we're doing called Radical Living. Radical Living. And this series is based uh, on First Peter. Um, in particular, it's a series uh, from First Peter 2.12. That, that says this, it's not in your notes, but it says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. That the, the idea is that we're to live lives among uh, pre-Christians that uh, uh, have an impact not only on us, but on the world around us. And that's what this whole concept has been. It sort of sprung out of a message we did during our series on the Beatitudes where we talked about hungering and thirsting for righteousness, and I called that the attitude of radical living. And uh, I just felt like Peter really expounds on the idea throughout uh, this, this letter he wrote, First um, Peter, uh, and the idea of what a radical life is all about. Um, because following Jesus is really, it's a radical way to live. When we use that term radical, which we use a lot, uh, it means not what the culture expects, a different way of life. And Peter, throughout this book, challenges us to live differently, to live a radical life, to live a life different than the one we lived before we came to Christ. And that it's in that sort of uh, understanding that things really begin to change in uh, our lives and the way that we impact the world around us. So Peter, throughout this whole book, has been calling us to a different way of life, a radical life for Jesus. And so we've been talking about that. Now this is week number six of uh, Radical Living. And all that that entails and what it looks like, and we're going to dig a little deeper today. Um, we're up into the fifth chapter. Uh, you'll note there in your, in your notes that the uh, scripture verse, the reading verse for today is 1 Peter 5, 5 through 7, and it's out of the message paraphrase. Let me read that to you as you read along. Um, but all of you, leaders and followers alike, are to be down to earth with each other. For God has had it with the proud, but takes delight in just plain people. So be content with who you are, and don't put on airs. God's strong hand is on you. He'll promote you at the right time. Live carefree before God. He is most careful with you. And blessed be the word of the Lord. Now, I, I want to dig into that idea that Peter presents there in, in that uh, paraphrase by looking at uh, those verses and some more, also in First Peter 5. And, and then we're going to make some points about the radical life once again. So let's look this time at First Peter uh, chapter 5, verses 5 through 10. This is in the NIV. It says, All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him, because He cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. And again, blessed be the word of the Lord. So, out of those verses today, I want to talk about four things. 
in the short time that we have together um, that I think further define a radical life and what it looks like for all of us. And so, let's dig in. What do you say? First point. A radical life is a life of humility. A radical life is a life of humility. Um, this is one of those concepts that we have to keep bringing up. There's, you know, there's some foundational things that we need to keep going over and over and over and over. You know why? Because if we don't get them, then the other stuff never happens. And, and the life that we're called to uh, has to be undergirded in these foundational ideas, and humility is one of those things. Um, Peter says it this way, all of you, beginning in, in the second part of verse 5, Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Uh, Peter says all of you, that means all of us, are to clothe ourselves with humility. Humility is, is actually something that as a, as a believer we're supposed to wear like clothing. It's to be an evident part of the character of our lives. It's a, it's an, it's an, it should be an evident part in particular of a radical life because humility is a radical concept in our culture. Because in our culture, the primary clothing is pride. And, and not only in our culture, but in all of our lives. It's the big battle that we all face. Um, we deal with, with pride. Um, and it's a constant struggle. Now, we're bombarded by culture and advertising, everything that pushes us even further in that direction. That it's all about us, look out for number one. If it's got to be, it's up to me. You know, it's, it's a constant push. But, but Peter tells us we're to clothe ourselves in humility. And see, as he's ending this letter... He's bringing up these points again. He's, he's been talking about a radical life throughout. And now he's, he's bringing up some of these final points about what really matters. And just like Jesus did for us in the Sermon on the Mount when we, when we went through the Beatitudes, that the first one was humility. And the reason it was humility was because we've got to get that one. Because everything, uh, honestly, everything starts, I believe, in humility. In, in our own lives, every change, let's put it that way, everything about us that, that changes starts in humility. Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And, and the, the, what he meant by that was people that realize that they desperately need God to, to, make, to, make, to make it happen in life. You cannot do it apart from Him. Because what you get apart from Him isn't real life. Even if you are perhaps successful by the world's standards, apart from God, it's not real life. And that's why you see the real lives of people who look very successful according to the world constantly blowing apart. And fall and exploding, because it, it's not it's not based in and founded in what it needs to be founded in. Uh, of course, all our lives blow up. If theirs are just more apparent when it happens, but but the problems that we have are always almost always in this struggle of humility and pride. We touched on this even last week, and and Peter brings it up because it's such an important part of the life that that we're to lead. It's a it's a starting point for radical living. It's a it's the realization that we can't do it apart from God. It's, it's asking Him, uh, Jesus, into our lives to be our Lord and Savior, to, to be the manager of our lives because we've, we've done such a terrible job of it. Uh, it. 
you know, it's a starting point. Until you realize how badly you've messed up your life, you don't, you don't realize how desperately you need Jesus. But it doesn't take long to figure out that you've messed it up, right? I mean, you're all there, hopefully. Sometimes it's getting to other people that takes a little while. I, I've probably told you this, but you know, years and years ago, I, I used to do a lot of uh, ministry in the jail and the prisons. And I would be in there two or three times a week, week after week after week. And I would, I would talk to people. And sometimes they would be sitting there and they're, they're still all kind of dealing in their own pride and stuff. And, and I would ask a simple question when I was sitting there. I said, how many of you, when you were little, it was your ambition to be sitting here in jail when you got a little older? And they'd all look at me. And I said, well, I think maybe what you need to do is fire yourself from being the manager of your life because you're not taking it in a very good direction. They'd look at me again. And I'd say... What you need is you need a better manager. And they, they started to agree with that. And I said, Jesus will do it. He's way better at it than you. Because this isn't his goal for you at all. And sometimes it would take those sort of situations and those sort of things to make people stop and think. Take a look at their lives and what happens. Now, now hopefully we, we get there along the way in, in all sorts of other ways. But we realize we're just not doing a very good job. And that we need help. And see, that's humility. That's the kicker. That's where it starts. It's something that makes us realize that it's just not making it. And so Peter's saying, look, you, you need to wear humility like clothing. It needs to be something that you, you're constantly putting on and that you, you wear. You get that it's the fabric. It, it's, the, it's, the, it's the main garment that you need to wear in your life. And that, that what you're constantly fighting with is that part of you wants to put pride back on. And, and you need to not let it become your clothing. And that's the, the pink thing that Peter was really talking about here, that, that this idea of a radical life is first and foremost a life of humility, that, that we're to wear it actually like clothing, that people ought to get a sense of, of humility when they're around us, um, because what they're really sensing then is God's grace and mercy. Because that's what we realize we desperately need in the process. I mean, that's... We can't do it, and we, we start to get that only we can only do it because of His grace and mercy in our lives, and and that's a very attractive thing to people. So, um, see, because you can you can a lot of people think you can put on the Christian life, and they still deal with a lot of pride, and that just pushes people away. Because we can't ever come with the idea that we've got it all figured out. We're in a work in process, and that's this whole concept that we're working on. Second big thing of a radical life is that a radical life is a life of trust. A radical life is a life of trust. 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. I would, I would submit this to you to think about that everything in your life that's causing you anxiety, stress, and worry is at some level a trust issue. That at some level, these things are a trust issue because we really don't believe the second part of this verse in 1 Peter 5.7. If we believed the second part, we'd be better at the first part. But the second part is that He cares for you. God cares for you. You, you, you actually need to personalize that at, at, in your own life and you need to be able to say that, hey, God cares for me. God really does care what I'm going through. God cares about me. He cares about you. And, and see, the more we hang on to that, the easier it is to do the first part of that verse, which is to cast all our anxieties on Him. 
We can do that because he cares for us. It's a trust thing. And, and if we really trust that God cares for us, then it's easier to cast this stuff on him. When we don't believe that he really cares for us, we tend to carry it around a lot more. And so it's a process. None of us have this perfectly figured out. We spent a big chunk of that last sermon, uh, you know, talking again about turning your worry into prayer. We need to be there. But, but part of it is this trust issue in our lives. And you need to know that he, he cares for you. Now, where the struggle comes in sometimes is that we, we, ha- we don't know how to balance in the fact that we live in a fallen world on a broken planet and that things happen that we don't care for. And, and sometimes we think in response to that that God doesn't care about us, which isn't true. Um, part of living here for God after you've come to Christ is, is the realization that he's got something way better for us. But for now, we're called to be here. And because it's a fallen world and a broken planet, we, we have to go through things sometimes. And, and it doesn't mean that he doesn't care about us. It just means it's part of living here. And we have to be able to make that distinction. Um, his, his promise to care for you does not mean that you'll never go through a difficult situation. It just doesn't. We've been talking during the week at our Wednesday night studies. We're looking through the book of Acts. And we've been uh, really focusing on lately the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And when you read about Paul, you find out that he went through a lot of really hard stuff. Uh, he was shipwrecked repeatedly, you know, ships sank. After, he, was, he was beaten, um, whipped, flogged, stoned. Uh, he, it says he went hungry and naked and he was in prison all the time. And, and he was out doing God's work. And sometimes people, oh, he was, you know, he must have been out of God's will or something for all those bad things to happen. No, it was just part of the deal. And, and it's a fallen world. It's a broken planet. But the fact that he went through those things never meant that God didn't care about him. God cared about him all the time. Every step of the way, God cared about what he's going through and what he was going through at every situation. Now, um, and you think, well, how does that all work? This, this, this concept of a radical life has to be balanced in with understanding that this is a life now that in Christ goes on forever and that he's given us eternal life with him. And when we get frustrated sometimes because we're going through things we don't want to go through, uh, we can often say, well, you know, where's God in this? How does God care for me in this? And, and what I can always tell you is that God demonstrates his care and concern for you at the cross. Uh, he, he's already demonstrated at the cross. Because what he's done is given us life forever. It wasn't a life with a promise that said we'll never go through difficult stuff. It was a promise of eternal life with him that, that, that he'll use these things along the way. And that's what he does. But see, the idea is that what we struggle with and what we go through, even though they're difficult, I'm not making light of this stuff. But in comparison to eternity, things begin to change. Paul actually calls, you know those events that I was talking about in his life? You know, Paul, in, in, uh, it's really funny if you read it in 2 Corinthians 4.17, he refers to those things there as light and momentary troubles. Now, I don't think that any of us would consider those light and momentary, do you? Shipwrecks, floggings, 40 lashes minus one several times, being stoned. You know, I don't think any of us would... But Paul says, in comparison with what's coming, those are light and momentary. 
he, he goes on, you can look this up later in 2 Corinthians 4, 8, 9. And he says, we're hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. These are the, these are the things that he's talking about. But, but see, no matter what you're going through, you've got to know that you have to keep your eyes on Jesus. And, and that, that as you do, you'll, you'll realize and settle in the fact that he cares for you. And that you can trust him. But this radical life is a life of trust. It's trusting God. It's learning to trust God. It's over time looking back and seeing that He's been there. He's been there. He's been there. He's been there. He's going to keep being there. It's not a promise of things will never be difficult because they, you know, they're, they're actually promised that it's going to be difficult in the book. If you read the book properly, you get it that that's more likely to happen. That things are difficult because it's a fallen world on a broken planet. But He's with us and He cares for us. And so it's not a pass on hard stuff, but it's an understanding that compared to what's coming, it's really nothing. We'll get through it. Third, a radical life is a life of living by doing the next right thing. Bet you didn't see that coming. <laughs> Again, I do have plenty of material. It's a big book. But this is, this is one of those things that, that I want you to think about all the time. That I want to be on your mind all the time. That that sticks with you. That, that it's living, it's, it's about trying to do the next right thing. Just trying to do the next right thing. Make that your, 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 the way that you move through life. It's knowing God's will. It's all those things that we've talked about. I just want to do the next right thing in, in, in every moment that I can in my life. Um, 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9, he says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. Uh, I wrote down in my notes, Decisions, decisions, decisions. That's life. That's a daily life. Filled with decisions. And, and we have choices to make constantly. And, and the more often we choose to do the next right thing, uh, the more settled you're going to feel with God. Uh, the more peace you'll experience. Because you'll experience more of His presence in the process. And, and, and so we keep pressing on trying to do the next right thing. See, and... and with this concept, what Peter is telling us is the enemy, he loves to trip up believers. It's like a sport to him. It's one of his favorite things. He loves to trip up believers because he's, he's just messing. And, and, and so he's out there trying to do it. And, and Peter says, resist him. Well, how do you resist him? Well, first off, do the next right thing. That's the biggest way. When you have choices before you, choose the right one. And that's resisting him. That's resisting your... It's robbing him of sport. And let me take this a step further. Because sometimes we will not do the next right thing. I've already said that. I will continue to say that. And that's part of life. And, and we all here will choose. We will make a conscious choice to not do the next right thing in our lives. And we do it fairly often. That's sin. But what do we do when we do that? Listen, I, I think that... that 
what you have to do in understanding this, that the enemy is trying to tweak you as well, is that when you do the wrong thing, that you need to, to go running back immediately to the Father and ask for forgiveness. And, and know that He forgives you and then sets you out to do the next right thing. See, and, and, and you just settle in the new start that He gives you. Don't get stuck in shame because then the enemy gets to continue to mess with you there. You messed up. We all do. You run back to God. You ask for forgiveness. He gives it to you. And then you get out and try and do the next right thing. You're not taking it for granted. You don't keep going to do the wrong thing. You're trying to do the next right thing. I've said this to you over and over again. I'm, I'm trying every day. My hope is every day that I do better than the day before. That's my hope. That's my honest hope. Is that every day I do a little bit better. And some days I do. And then some days I take three big steps backwards. And then I hope to do better the next day. And I run back to God. But if I get stuck in messing up, then the enemy continues to have a field day. And he's looking to do it. He says he's, he's, he's roaming about looking to do it. It's, it's, so, so don't let it. You messed up, okay. But God forgives me and I'm out again. I'm doing the right, I'm, gonna, I'm trying to do the next right thing. That life is a life that we're called to. It's, it's a pressing into God. It's a, it's a yielding to the Spirit of God and, and, and trying to do the next right thing. And not being fake and pretend and acting like we have it together and we don't. That we're in the midst of the struggle and the battle. That, that we are people trying to deal with our pride and clothe ourselves in humility. We're, we're doing it by trying to get our, our eyes off of just us and into the bigger picture of God and, and trying to live radical lives to, 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 to care about people, to encourage others, to be a thankful people, to pray instead of worry, to, to learn how to love well like He does. We're trying to do those things. And, and sometimes we do it and sometimes we don't, but we're trying to do it better every day. That's the life we're called to. That's a radical life. And it's a life that will impact the world. And so, so he calls us to this. Take, when you mess up, take the, the mercy-filled do-over that God gives you and do the next right thing. It's, you know, some, some months ago now, I told you about my, my trip to Texas and the, the GPS, and I kept making wrong turns, and it kept saying recalculating. And it got me where I needed to go. See, and I had this picture, and I, if you didn't hear me say it, hear it again. It's, it's when I need a do-over, God just says, recalculate I love you. Okay, now you get there from here. And that's how he uses that. We don't go into, now I can't be used, or I'm no good, or, nah, you're broken like the rest of us. I'm broken. I go to God, and he loves me. And we move forward from there, trying to do the next right thing. And here's good news. Point four. A radical life is a life of restoration. It's a life of restoration. 1 Peter 5.10 And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. See, see God is in the restoration business. And that's really good news, guys. See, the enemy would like you to think that you've messed up so bad that you can never be restored. You just kind of limp through it. Mm -mm. God's in the restoration business. And, and, and He is the God of all grace. I love the way Paul says that. You know, I like that word all anyway, because of what it means. It means all. 
and He is the God of all grace, and He's in the restoration business, and, and He's in the grace business, and He's in the mercy business, and, and He uses it all to restore us, to make us new, to make us whole, to make us holy. And, and it's a new thing. I, I think it's a new... St- every day, it's a, it's, he's, he's bringing us back to whole, holy and new in Him. And we get a new start. And, and, and he, he has this thing, which is so cool, because He takes the mess and he, and he somehow mixes it with grace and then He uses it. And in the process, He restores us. It, isn't it amazing that God can take the biggest messes in your life, mix them with grace, and then somehow use it for His glory. It's, the, it's the, always the most amazing thing to me. The things in my life that could easily carry the most shame, God doesn't want me to feel shame, so He takes it and uses it. Things in my past, things that I did, and, and he, it's amazing how often He uses them in conversation with others and in trying to encourage others and to help people along and to comfort them. And they, they totally, He totally redeems it. It's shocking. But see, he's in the restoration business. That's a really amazing thing. That he's, he's in the restoration business. I, I, I was thinking about, you know, the series I used to watch years and years ago, The Six Million Dollar Man. We can take him and make him better. Because <laughs> now, Six Million Dollars in the 70s, you wonder what that would cost now. Although technology is cheaper in a lot of ways, so maybe we could get it done cheaper. I don't know. But, um, <laughs> and in my crazy mind, if you know how I work, I started thinking about that and I was doing the ro- slow motion running. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I had a couple crazy thoughts about this. I, uh, the, the God of all grace. Uh, and uh, I, was, I was singing that song, uh, God of all grace, everything he makes. <laughs> Satisfying and delicious. I got it confused with that other song, uh, The Candy Man. <laughs> I don't know why. And I don't even know why I'm sharing that with you, but I was singing that song in my head. I was trying to make it work. Um, but he takes this mess and he mixes it with grace and he makes the world taste good. No, that's the other song. And he takes this... If you don't know the song, it doesn't make any sense. But he, he uses it. And it's the most amazing thing. That he uses it. And, and he uses it to make life satisfying, fulfilling, and radical for him. That's what he calls us to. That's, that's the amazing God we serve. That's a, it's, it's why it's worth giving, giving him your life. It's why it, 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 because of all that he does, now and forever. Because he loves us. The, the, the idea of this love that God has for us, no matter what's going on, is, is one that we have to embrace. And, and in the process then, we, we clothe ourselves with humility. We, we want to be a, a people that others can respond to. We, we, you know, we, we have to understand how, how much he loves us and that, that this, this is a life of humility that we're called to. And, and it's, a, it's a life of trust that we can trust him, that he's proved himself to be trustworthy. But don't confuse that concept then with never having to go through anything. That's not part of it. I don't see it as part of the promise. I, in fact, Jesus says things like, don't be surprised when stuff happens. When, not if. 
Actually, since when? Um, it's part of life in a fallen world. But we can trust Him because He's the God of all grace and He can take the mess and use it. He mixes it and uses it in our lives. And He restores us. He's constantly restoring us. To the point of when He comes back making us completely whole. Forever and ever. Really cool thing that we've, we've managed to stumble into here. And because it's so cool, we're supposed to tell others. Because it's like, really, it, you know, the, the idea is, it's amazing. And, and here we are, because of what he's done. So, so it's a life of humility, it's a life of trust, it's a life of, of living by, by trying to do the next right thing. And that it's ultimately a life of restoration. That's the radical life he's called us to. And the life that's worth living. Amen? Amen. Well, if you're watching by video, thanks for watching. Glad that you did. If you need anything, call us, write us, email us. We'll do whatever we can for you. But we're going to go ahead and close, close with prayer tonight. So you guys can share.